Before we begin, please note that none of the information in this episode constitutes a recommendation, solicitation, or offer by Galaxy Digital or its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Hello and welcome to Future Proof. Thanks for joining us. Each episode, we talk about digital assets for the modern financial advisor with a focus on one specific question. Today, we go beyond Bitcoin to discuss the growth of digital payment assets. I'm Jonathan Bronstein with Financial Advisor IQ, and as always, we're brought to you by Galaxy Fund Management. Now, before we get started, a quick reminder to our audience, this is the eighth episode of this series, and you can listen to all of our past episodes anytime you want. You can find them on Financial Advisor IQ or on your favorite podcast player. Just search for FutureProof. So let's begin. On FutureProof, we've often spoken about the three different roles that digital assets can play. Store value, Web 3.0, and digital payments. Well, today we're going to focus in on the third with two guests that have deep expertise in this space. Our listeners need no introduction to Mike Novogratz, the founder and CEO of Galaxy Digital. Previously, Mike founded and was president of Fortress Investment Group. Mike, welcome back. Thank you. We are also honored to be joined today by Zoe Cruz. Zoe is a strategic advisor to Ripple and is the founder and CEO of EOZ Global. But if that weren't enough, she's also a former co-president of Morgan Stanley. Zoe, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. So let's get to it. We have 20 minutes on the clock. Mike, we're going to start with you. Um, when a lot of us think about digital payments, we're thinking about PayPal and Venmo or buying something on Amazon, but that's not really what we're talking about today. So let's define the term and explain why financial advisors should care about digital payments in the crypto space. Listen, you know, right now, for me to send you a photograph, uh, takes me about a half a second. And you think about a photograph, it's a thousand pixels left and right and center, and, and I can send it on one of 17 different messenger apps and you can receive it. Uh, for me to send you money, it's really, really difficult. Um, and so one of the use cases of, uh, of crypto uh, was, hey, how can we make you know, transferring money between two individuals much, much easier? Um, there are lots of different ways that happens. Right there's places like Venmo, which is a digital payments app. It's a centralized one. Uh, it's domestic only, and it's it's used uh, for limited amounts of money. Right, they limit the, the amount of money you can use. Uh, and then there's this whole new group of crypto versions from stable coins, which will be a big part of our future, most likely. You think of things like the Libra Libra project, and you know Facebook's Novi Wallet, which will come out. Uh, trying to get in the digital payments game. Um, and so I think you're going to see a unbelievable amount of innovation and competition to trying to get this space. Um, my gut feeling is there's going to be kind of two broad roads. One is digital payments with existing fiat currencies just wrapped in different wrappers. Uh, that's what we have with Venmo. Uh, but you're going to have that with central bank issued currencies, the central bank issued digital currencies in many countries. China's starting one soon. I'm doing a call with the Central American Bank uh, tomorrow 
Central American Central Bank uh, talking about it. Um, and you're going to see actual cryptocurrencies that have their own light, Bitcoin, Ripple being one uh, that I'm sure Zoe will talk about. And so we're early innings. They all are going to use similar architecture. You're going to need custody. You're going to need security. And so what makes the whole space so bullish is you really are going to uh, have a high probability of re reimagining and rebuilding the payments architecture, you know, of the consumer and uh, financial arenas. And so that's where from a venture perspective and from an excitement perspective, uh, I think there's a lot of upside. All right. So Zoe, focusing in on, on, you know, the role that digital assets like Ripple can play in payments, you know, how are they specifically revolutionizing the space? Okay. Um, well, Ripple is not the only one, and I want to make a distinction between Ripple, the blockchain technology company. It's a fintech company, a blockchain technology company that participates along the lines that actually Mike so astutely has put forth. XRP is the ledger and is the cryptocurrency that they and many others use. So th that's the distinction. And going to your uh, idea and using the word, the word revolutionary is a very appropriate word. I think blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies used as that bridge between uh, the on and off uh, fiat ramps, <laughs> using the cryptocurrency as the bridge uh, to the other end, to the cross-border payment. It will revolutionize the world of uh, payments the way Mike and I made our career in revolutionizing the way payments were done uh, mainly through the commercial banking world. Prior to Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs and very other capital markets, uh, people coming into the industry, if uh, when I got out of business school in 1982, Morgan Stanley was a private company. It had 2,000 employees in three offices, Tokyo, London, New York. So it goes to show you how the world has changed. But we were about to revolutionize capital markets, the way money and securities moved around the world. Prior to that, it was a commercial bank, your deposits, half a trillion dollars of deposits. You went physically to your bank, etc. So we went from uh, half a trillion dollars in deposits to I think today we're talking about a $180 trillion market cap, a hundred trillion in bonds and 80 trillion in uh, stocks. <laughs> so we revolutionized the way that money moved around the world. Well, this world is going to revolutionize the way value. Uh, Chris Larson, the founder of Ripple, says the internet of value, which is exactly right. Um, but what I am uh, very excited about is it will revolutionize uh, access to finance, to global finance for the unbanked and underbanked. Uh, as Mike knows, when I was a Morgan Stanley, he was a Goldman Sachs and I wanted to send half a billion dollars to Citigroup. The SWIFT system worked fine and the correspondent banking system worked fine. If you're a small basket weaver, as I like to say, in Nigeria, not so good. So that's the revolution, actually. Decentralized finance giving access globally to the unbanked and underbanked. 
and, and we're talking about numbers of uh, what is it now? We're seven and a half billion human beings, 7.8 or something like that. Um, half of that, uh, about 4 billion of those people are underbanked or unbanked. So that's the revolution. Okay. So what, um, you know, talking about, um, you know, Ripple, uh, you know, what, what, what's making, what makes Ripple unique in the digital payment space? Uh, they're unique only in their focus. Uh, okay. uh, many others and of course, uh, well-heeled uh, entities are trying to do that. But from the very beginning, I guess that's the unique. And from the very beginning, they actually saw that and realized when you solve a very big problem and you're talking about a multi-trillion dollar problem, cross-border payments, uh, when you solve that problem, uh, you can be successful and you can, you can you know, create add value to the world. So they focused very uh, deeply uh, to that cross-border payment space, payment overall. Uh, and uh, they actually did um, put down tracks, as you say, railroad tracks, to make that cross-border payment using blockchain and using XRP as the cryptocurrency of choice uh, for that cross-border payment uh, function. The other, sorry, the other, which I'm sure will come later in opportunities and risks. The other thing I respected when I got the call from the headhunter, they understood very early on, much more than the other crypto players, that if you're gonna play in the financial space, <laughs> uh, even though they, it, weren't as involved as uh, I was running a global, well, well-regulated institution, they understood that you need to have regulatory uh, oversight and you have to have regular principle-based regulation to make this succeed. Because their clients were and are banks, financial institutions that are regulated. Sure, is that what drew you into uh, to, to, you know, your role with Ripple? Uh, that's probably what attracted them. Uh, they uh, asked the headhunter to call me because I ran a global, uh, well-regulated institution and, and, and my career began in foreign exchange. So cross-border payments is something I understand extremely well. So, um, Mike, want to, um, you know, with it, it's a, our, our audience are financial advisors and um, what we're talking about here is absolutely revolutionary, but I want to localize it for them um, and for their clients. Um, you know, when we talk about Bitcoin as a store of value, as digital gold, it's easy to see, you know, how that relates to an investment portfolio. How do we look at the digital payment space from an investment perspective? Well, so... You know, it's much more difficult, to be fair. Uh, a lot of the, the bets are in the venture space, right? So you don't, you don't invest in a stable coin to have the stable coin go up, right? Uh, the stable coin is going to stay stable. And so they are often, um, you know, fiat currencies wrapped in a, in a, in a digital wrapper. Um, and so there are businesses to invest in that will benefit from that, right? You think about Facebook, one of the biggest companies in the world, they're, they're trying to create their own stable coin 
their business opportunity is the, the Novi wallet, right? To be able to do all the payments and, and then sell things, sell insurance, sell, sell other products through their wallet. And so it's a harder direct investment space. There are, there are stable coins uh, or semi-stable coins, I'll say, I'll put Ripple in that category, that if they show enough stability over time with some, some slow uh, but nor northern migration in price, uh, they can become payment coins. So I think people can use them and, and start feeling comfortable. Um, you know, there's, there's a project in Korea, uh, Terra uh, with, with Luna. Terra is the stable coin and Luna is the, in essence, the business underneath it. And the Luna coin uh, will, will, will rise in price almost like an equity if the Terra stable coin gets more and more adoption. And so there are a few, few opportunities, but for, the, for the, the FA advisor who's just getting into this, it's very complicated. And so what's important to know is as you get more adoption, this makes Bitcoin as a store of value uh, easier to buy, right? It's as people get comfortable with the world moving to digital payments, then a digital gold uh, is easier, right? You know, Ripple has got an interesting box there. They're really been been at remittances is one of their first places they've really focused a lot on in the consumer space, right? They, they bought MoneyGram, they're doing a lot between Mexico and the US. And so, you know, if they have that niche in their, in their following base, you know, their community buys into seeing that growth, you know, you could see, you could see that appreciate. Can I just add something to that? And, and I will preface it by saying, this is my own point of view as a macro person. Uh, you know, uh, Mike and I go way back as macro players. That's where we made our careers. So it doesn't represent Ripple's point of view necessarily. I just want to be clear on that. But I actually believe it's a false choice. I agreeing with everything that Mike said, to, it's a false choice to say either it's actually a VC type of investment or, and you'll have to be stable to be on that. Or, um, you know, you, you're talking about Bitcoin as digital gold, which, which I agree with. The reason it's a false choice, I think it's the $100 trillion around the globe uh, that have the 60, 180 trillion, they have the 60-40 portfolio, where 60-40, as you know, and 40-60, if you're bearish on, on bonds, uh, they were thought to be inversely correlated, i.e. bonds go up, stocks go down. And they were both free market agents. Well, with the Fed now buying high yield bonds, I don't think uh, stocks or bonds are free market. And the Fed saying they're going to try to get inflation up. So I actually think there is a flight from traditionally your advisors are looking. And I'm sure what I've heard from a few advisors, most of the questions they get is how do I get into the digital space? And the way I look at it is I never invested in gold up until last year. My traditional portfolio, my single family office invested in a lot of things, but not gold, negative carry trades I don't like. So I actually look at that cryptocurrency, the top cryptocurrencies, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP, there are a few others, let's say five cryptocurrencies, and there'll be others, maybe 10. Uh, where you look at them as not, uh, are they volatile, and therefore I shouldn't touch them, 
I think if you're buying 30-year bonds at negative yield, that's the biggest risk of your portfolio, not buying a few Bitcoin and a few XRPs. So, so that's how I look at it as a false choice. It's not either or. Well, so here's my question. If you're, inve- if, if you're putting in your portfolio that basket of, say, five different uh, digital currencies, um, you know, we've talked about on this uh, on Future Proof in the past about the idea of putting, say, one to two percent of your portfolio towards Bitcoin. So I guess the question is for the for the advisor or really for their client who maybe has already done that. And now they're saying, well, you know, sh- should I also do some Ethereum? Should I also do some XRP? Well, how much? Where? What's the balance that you should be looking for that that makes sense? Yeah. Well, I look at it again, what, whether it's 1% or 3%, because mm-hmm. these are binary outcomes. If these things cease to exist because regulators decided it's zero, it's going to zero. Those are binary outcomes. Uh, I would say I wouldn't put my kids' education on them, but if you're the kind of person that has more of a risk appetite, maybe 10% is appropriate. If, if your risk averse 1% is appropriate, Within that, uh, you know, I go back to the traditional diversification. I bought gold last year. I bought silver this year, in addition to doubling my gold position. And I'm thinking of buying copper. I don't know if any of them are going to make me money. Mm -hmm. But I think the diversified portfolio, not uh, what is... Uh, and I'm not smart enough to, to know what is the right percentage of Bitcoin versus Ethereum versus XRP versus the others that are coming up. Very meaningful winners in the space. Um, but I would say, you know, Galaxy actually, it has a, um, a Bloomberg uh, designed uh, diversified portfolio. So to me, the new, new thing is indices that will have different formulas uh, or formulae. Uh, for what is the right mix of Bitcoin to XRP to Ethereum based on their well-researched, you know, thesis. Sure. Well, Mike, I I guess I have to turn that to you then. (laughs) You may have the same answer, but uh, what are your thoughts? Listen, we have, we try to provide different products for people, different people with their their own view. I would tell you that my own portfolio is probably 80% Bitcoin and 20% other other being DeFi, Ethereum, and other, other coins. Um, I do still see that, that sec. I, I kind of think Bitcoin's a finished product and it's got its lane and, and role as digital gold. And I think the other stuff is really exciting because it's where the world really changes, right? If, if we have decentralized exchanges in five, six, seven years, um, that's a major, major, you know, tectonic shift. Uh, does the Ethereum platform become the, the, the global trust computer, the global trust network that things are built on? That's a major, major futonic trust. And so our Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index, it caps the weight of Bitcoin at 40%, and it allows the others to, to, to come and go as they get excitement. So it's got a venture piece to the bet. It's, it's overweighted, uh, in essence, versus, say, my 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 waiting, but it's a much more exciting in that respect. In that, if it works, if, if Zoe's right, and this whole world shifts, um, that's that index is going to pick up the hottest projects uh, that you know could be the real game changers. 
Can I just make an addition to what just Mike said? In addition to this, to his argument, I would say if you believe my uh, biggest fear in world markets and investments is that they're making a very big assumption that could be wrong, which is inflation is going to stay low for longer. That's a very big assumption. And so anything, and that's why we talk about commodities, people are discovering all kinds of commodities. All of these cryptocurrencies, they're designed different uh, for different uses. And so Mike's arguments are very fair, but they're also pre, there's a finite number to them. You know, for XRP, it's a hundred billion. For Bitcoin, obviously there's a formula by 2034 or 44, I forget what year it is, Mike. That's it, no mass. So I look at those crypto assets as basically a hedge against inflation the way I tell my friends to buy great real estate because of its finite nature. Makes sense. All right. I have two final questions that I want to ask. I'm going to put one to each of you and try to answer quickly if you can, just because we are unfortunately running out of time. Um, Zoe, I'm going to put this question to you. Uh, you had mentioned the binary nature that it could all go to zero. Um, in terms of the various digital payment assets, do you think there's going to be one or two winners or do you think that there's room for many successes? I think there will be a room uh, uh, for many in, you know, we can nitpick what is many, but it won't be just uh, one or two. Uh, you know, anyone's crystal uh, glass after two, three years becomes very opaque. I don't care how smart they are. So that's why I'm saying broaden your investment thesis and do your research, obviously, who are the nascent ones. Uh, but the, the, the opportunity, that's why, again, going back to some of Mike's comment, is great. But actually, ironically, because I don't want to leave without saying the biggest risk to that space, actually, is because the barriers to entry are zero. You have a lot of building out that so far has been done uh, to facilitate speculation of all kinds, where people, a symmetry of risk is to the poor investor, not to the, to the other side. And so to me, the, the new wave, which is exciting, is infrastructure is being built to attract the fidelities of the world, the traditional financial advisors. And that is a very big opportunity and it will be big to many. Got it. Mike, one last question for you. Uh, you were, we were talking about um, you know, investing in the space and, and you were talking, you had mentioned Facebook, you'd mentioned other companies on the outside that, that could essentially stand to benefit. So I'm just wondering if, if the digital payment space is truly revolutionary, what sorts of businesses around the world, outside of the digital currency infrastructure, most stand to benefit from that revolution and that success? Well, I think it's, it's consumers that most, spend, most stand to benefit okay. in lots of ways, right? And, and, and it's the banks, the traditional banks that you know, will, will get hurt, um, right? Banks broadly have a monopoly on payments uh, in lots of ways, right? If I wanna, even when I take money out of an ATM, they charge me $3.50 to take out $50, right? That should be free. Uh, and it's free on almost all these, you know, are, are close to free on all these crypto payment systems. 
right? I can send you Bitcoin, it'll cost me 12 cents or something. I can send you $100,000 worth of it. Um, and so I think really this is an alarm on a consumer revolution and you're providing consumers ease, access, speed, and, and, and a much cheaper and better product. And so it's like, who's benefiting now from the high fees are the guys that are going to get hurt. All right. Well, we are out of time. Mike, if you want to send me that $100,000, I'll spot you the 12 cents. Um, no problem there. Um, but uh, Mike and Zoe, thank you so you, you much. You had a better chance yesterday before all the prices. Uh... Oh, man. <laughs> I'm always a day late and, and $100,000 short, I guess. Listeners, we'll be back in two weeks with Galaxy Digital Portfolio Manager Paul Capelli to talk about what Wall Street gets wrong about Bitcoin. You won't want to miss it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. This podcast is a production of Financial Advisor IQ, a service of the Financial Times, and is brought to you by Galaxy Fund Management. My name is Jonathan Bronstein, and I produced and edited this podcast. Our music is written and performed by Oliver Mack. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening and have a great day.